What's up, what's up, what's up, podcast world, the Foul Life Podcast coming back your way. New episode again brought to you by our friends at Gerber Gear. Check them out. Stay Sharp America. Get a saw, get whatever kind of axe you need, whatever kind of blind building materials you need. If you need a knife, processing, butchering, multi-tools, they got it all. Made in America, made in Oregon. We believe in Gerber. We're humbled to be part of their family. And today's episode of the Foul Life Podcast is also brought to you by our friends in Tennessee, Final Flight outfitters check them out online at final flight outfitters on instagram you can find their website finalflightoutfitters.com right kelly actually finalflight.net final you can google final flight we can google final flight final flight we come up number one so number one check them out for all of your waterfowl needs all your turkey hunt needs deer hunting needs fishing needs shooting needs they are the number one outfitter all over that part of our great country of america the state of tennessee final flight outfitters today's guest is one of the humble owners of final flight final flight outfitters one of the owners of power calls 1999 World Goose Calling Champion and 2000 World Goose Calling Champion of Champions. Kelly Powers, welcome back. What's up, man? Glad to be here again. Like, I don't like when I mess up websites, but man, I always, I guess I just always assume that it's the easiest one that comes to mind. And then, and then you get the .net. Why is it the .net? Is that because .com was already taken? Well, the uh, .com was already tank- taken and, you know, I mean, that was goodness, 15 years ago, but nowadays, man, how many people type a direct, a, a direct domain? You know, so many people are using a search engine and, you know, we, we, I've tried to read studies and people that are way smarter than me about that. But for the most part, just, just go to Google, type in final flight, boom, we'll come up right at the top, you know, and, and any search engine. And that's the same thing with foul life, band, whatever, whatever it is. Most people are using a search engine, in my opinion, rather than an actual domain nowadays, at least. That's a great point. So how important, Kelly, in business is you hear the term SEO, search engine optimization. Um, how important has it been to you guys climbing that ladder of of being one, you know, if somebody types in waterfowl products or buy a good duck call or, or buy a gun, how important is that part of the business of having the right people in the right seats to make sure your SEO is up is, is being taken care of? Man, it's, it's, uh, obviously it's huge, but man, there's, you talk to 20 people and you're going to get 20 different answers, you know, and I've tried to research this and I don't think anybody understands how any of the spiders and indexes work, whether Google or any kind of search engine you're using. No one quite understands the metrics that those algorithms are pulling in and, and how they're getting SEO to the top. If they did, everybody would be successful. It would be an easy recipe, but there's a combination of a lot of things that you have to do uh, for different products. And more importantly, I mean, the more you network, you know, the more you're, you're cross-referenced, cross-linked with other sites, uh, the more you're in with social media and it cross-referenced. I mean, at the end of the day, traffic is king. And if you have something popular that's generating traffic, search engines recognize that and you're up there. So, you know, there are people way smarter than me. The, on, on those those topics but i try to try to study and learn up on them but yeah it's it's all it all goes in with every other your your day-to-day duties when it comes to the actual physical part of your business at the store kelly with what you and your brothers and family have going on do you feel that you guys have been successful in creating a destination is it become that part of tennessee where people drive that way because they want to be part of the culture of final flight and see the store physically 
Yeah, we we've we get a lot of that, and and we didn't plan on that by any means. But man, guys are driving four, five, six hours, and a lot of them come to Realfoot Lake in West Tennessee to duck hunt. Duck hunting in Northwest Tennessee is is pretty good, and and so we get a lot of lot of especially a lot of people east of the Mississippi River that come through and they're coming to this area and we're a destination shop. They want to stop, you know, they'll do, they'll shop online. They'll, they'll do in-store pickup selected on the, on the shopping cart, go ahead and pay. And then when they get here, you know, we'll have the order waiting for them and then they'll go to the hunting camp or the lodge, wherever they're staying. Um, and also we work with a lot of outfitters as well that recommend their customers stop by us. So when they come off of the lake at, at three fifteen, you know, when you have to quit shooting on real foot lake or any of the other, private areas or public areas in West Tennessee, you know, we stay open until eight o'clock at night in Mandel, you know, or especially late in the afternoons and it gets after dark, our store's pretty packed, but I catch myself, you know, even shopping uh, too frequently, I guess my wife would say, but to, to be successful, you have to have selection. You have to have a good variety of, of products, you know, and, and you know, as well as I do, I mean, we're affiliated with other companies privately, you know, and, and when I started final flight kind of started, I was going to goose calling contests and I was affiliated with some companies before our store even started. And, and that's kind of carried over to today. But at the end of the day, I am a huge proponent of letting brands sell themselves, let the customer decide, you know, there are brands that, that, that I like personally, but I try very hard not to show bias. I want to, I want to put all the products out there, equally displayed correctly and just let's see where customers kind of gravitate to because at the end of the day whether it's it's any type of apparel it's any type of game call you know selfishly i'd love to say my calls are the best but they're not i mean they're they're in with a lot of the other ones they're things that we do design wise that i like better uh but man it's a ford chevy debate you know and what we try to do is have the selection the customer can come in and say hey i i blew that call or i did this i want to try that and let the customer decide and then provide him a service. And I think if you treat them that way as a partner, you're gaining their business for life. Um, I'm not really a big fan on sales associates trying to be overly pushy on a certain brand. Just I, I like to let the customer decide and fill up what's comfortable for them. And then I think it's a win-win for everybody. So take it a step further for me when you talk about sales associate sales associates and the education that goes into being an employee in the store and a representative of the final flight culture. You say you don't want them to be pushy Kelly, but if that customer comes in and says, Hey, I've been deciding between this blind bag, this blind bag. And I also wanted to talk to you about gun cases today <clears throat> and to wrap it all up. I'm in the market for a new pair of waiters. I don't, we don't need to talk about any brand names, but that sales associate, I assume is at least educated fully in depth through, Absolutely. through, through your knowledge and your connections of reps coming in and in different styles of being able to answer all the questions and give feedback and in a non-biased way. Absolutely. And, and they set in on training sessions. They said, I mean, manufacturers come in our store. And I, I tell our employees, when you have downtime, I want you to go around and start reading hang tags. I want you to know the features of that product, why they're built the way they are, why they're designed the way they are, the materials that it's made out of. I want you to learn these things. And, and the correct answer to your question, if a customer comes in with those scenarios that says, I like this blind bag, this blind bag, and this blind bag, what do you think? The correct answer is you always start, well, in my opinion, you know, because I don't want, I don't want an associate to say, well, this is the best one here because of, well, then obviously that's an opinionated answer that he leads into kind of derogatory toward the other brand. And, and so at the end of the day, I mean, 
both of the products I'm sure are great. Some have features if you're a timber hunter, some have better features if you're a blind hunter. But, you know, if you lead off with, well, kind of in my opinion is this, or I personally like this because of, however, some people like this because of this, you know, and it's just knowing the products. And not only that, it's just being a, a good little bit of humbleness as well. It just kind of, it goes a long way. And then I think you end up striking up conversation and you strike up trust. And then that's a two-way street. How how important have you seen it in your career in retail, Kelly Powers, with POS? And you, you made a comment um, a couple minutes ago about the way that products are displayed and you don't really, you know, you don't like put one out in front of the other. And I completely respect that. But what about POS? How important has it become in marketing for when to make where I'm going with this and, and, and you I want you to talk on it is the in-store experience. Does that combine, <clears throat> excuse me, does that combine with the knowledge of the reps, the knowledge of the sales floor associates, and then the, and then uh, a, a potential consumer is going to come in there and they're going to see maybe an in-cap display with a video? How important does all of that play into that? Or is that more of just like decorating a Christmas tree to make the store owner feel good? <laughs> Sometimes it's a little of both. Sometimes it's, it's appeasing a buyer at the store, you know. Uh, for us, you know, we see items, um, and I don't even have to, I mean, there's, there's or, you know, dozens of examples, but we see items that are great products, but the sales data didn't necessarily justify it. And I've kind of researched it and I thought, you know, and, and we've grown up hunting our whole lives. So we kind of know where some items just stand out, stand out a little bit, but when I kind of researched it, you know, there were some items that were just kind of buried and I looked at the store placement. And it wasn't displayed as well. So we try to we try to navigate those hurdles and try to display things in the appropriate area to where it's got a legitimate shot rather than being buried in a corner. You know, and there's some items before we, if they weren't selling well, before we just kind of nix it and cut it, we kind of evaluate, well, where was it at? Where was placement? If it was kind of cluttered, you know, that's, that, that's hard to do. And for us, a big struggle is, you know, there's different ways you can categorize things. You can categorize things according to, you know, weight, you know, garment wise, you know, heavyweight clothing in one area, uh, this and that. You can categorize things according to brand. You can have all of the, you know, the certain brand this in this area, the other brand in this area, you know. But the problem is, is you get so much inter intermingling of not only different weight of garments, um, and I'm just talking about clothing here, uh, but not only that, but then you get different camo patterns and this and that. What we've kind of done differently from day one, we've categorized things according to camo, which is different than any other place I've seen. And the only reason I say that is if I'm a timber hunter and I walk into a store, I know I'm going to want something in Realtree Timber, Bossy Oak Bottomland, or the Sitka, Sitka Timber pattern. You know, for the most part, I'm going to get a timber looking pattern. Um, now, if I'm a pit hunter and a grass hunter, visually, I want something in Shadow Grass Blades or Max 5. Um, that's kind of where you gravitate to. So as soon as they walk in the door and they take a right to go into our apparel department, visually, they know the area that they need to kind of home in on. Now, within those little departments, then we break it down according to brand and according to product weight. So we felt like it's a little best to put all of your timber hunting apparel. If you're a weighed-in hunter standing by a tree, let's put all of these garments kind of in the same area that way, if this guy's looking at this garment here of Bottomland, but then over here on the left, he sees real true timber, he can look at them side by side versus having the, you know, you see what I'm saying, how to have them set, separated. 
I love that. So when you now take it a step further and like the hat you're wearing, um, these brands become successful. Final flight becomes successful. It becomes something to where people want to wear that badge, not just when they're hunting per se, they might be out golfing. They might be on the boat in the summertime. Lifestyle apparel has become very prolific. Drake did a great job with it of getting into country yes. clubs and boating, boat marinas and such. Um, we've tried it with Bandit. Other companies, Patagonia, so strong. They have they have stuff that is made specifically for performance and executing a certain thing in the mountains but they also have a t-shirt with a cool vw bus on it that talks about you know traveling the world as a hippie or whatever so people love this so how important has that become to you and do you see customers has it always been like that in retail to where they wanted to wear a final flight shirt as opposed to just going into final flight and buying a drake blind bag or a banded pair of waders and if you've seen that same customer base transition over into that part of the store to where they're like, I want that T-shirt. I need a new hat that's not necessarily camouflage. I'm on a koozie and some of the stuff that that they ride for the brands that they love to, to hunt with. Yeah, it, it, I think it's twofold. You know, customers, they want cool stuff. They want cool stuff that that fits their personal style, you know, and, and for us, there's you know, there, there's obviously there's all kind of different demographics of our walk-in customers. Now, when you have your online customers, that's a that's a larger audience, obviously. So, you know, but for us, you know, logo wear, mesh back hats, different things, um, they want cool stuff. So we try to design cool stuff. But then on the flip side, like you, you, you know, kind of honed in on at the beginning of the podcast, the, we're a lot of, in some sense, especially in the winter months, a destination shop. So when people are three, four hours from home, they want to get something that's local. They want to get something from a local shop that has a local logo on it, that has a local city name on it or state name. So for us, you know, the, the term final flight, obviously the business name, uh, the, the, the word in Union City, which is our hometown, the word Tennessee, our home state, you know, those are trigger words that we try to push because not only it brings attention to our little area and our little kind of ecosystem here, but it also helps promote our store and it helps promote businesses that are in our community as well. So, you know, we're, we're small business, you know, as, as, as big as we ever may get, we'll never get, lose that tag. We're still a small town business, you know, and we encourage people that are traveling from, you know, out of state, out of town to visit the restaurants, the other shops. Um, you know, we're just kind of all a part of that whole tourism, tourism aspect. So explain that to me. How does a, a duck hunting store or turkey hunting store per se, fishing store, how do they fit into that ecosystem as far as the local business community. Are you <clears throat> teaming up with a local restaurant and letting them serve hot dogs and hamburgers in your parking lot on a certain event? Are you giving away a coupon at the cash register to push them into that store as they walk down the street? Or is it a processing business to where once they go out and get their ducks, they know that Final Flight um, has a, a partner that will process those birds for them? Explain to me how, because now you're talking about building a culture and, and you're getting and you're, and you're being prideful. You're bringing pride to that area of Tennessee, which is a big deal because you have a national voice. You have a national website. You're pushing this product out there, not on onto people, but it's getting pushed out there to the masses because of who Kelly Powers was, the work ethic of your brothers, what you guys have done as a brand. And now this culture starts to take place. So is it evident with the local businesses around Union City, Tennessee, to where they're like, thank God for Final Flight? Is it kind of like, because you guys have had a big voice in, in the national presence, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, the, the number one thing that we've learned and and it's is giving back, you know, and, and that's really at the top. I mean, we do 
you know, I, I, as a disclaimer on the front end, and and Seth, which is our marketing director, we've had this discussion. And the matter of fact, the first week that he came there, he came to me after a couple of days, and he says, Kelly, I have to apologize. He said, I had no idea how much of a giving community that we have. I would love as a business to be able to say, open door, we'll help sponsor something that comes at our door. But what Seth was overwhelmed is, I mean, we'll have two to three or more a day request of, and they're all awesome. They're all nice, terrible organizations, you know. And what we try to do is we try to rotate. We try to rotate things. Everything has to go through approval. Uh, man, we're due, we do a lot of business with our, all of our ball teams. We have logos on all of our Little League, baseball, Babe Ruth teams. We do, our, our, we do some apparel business as well with uh, providing our, our local high school team uh, football uniforms. Uh, we've ordered pads. We've ordered any kind of equipment. Um, we we help sponsor the scoreboard at our high school team. We're sponsored. The University, matter of fact, we're an athletic sponsor with the University of Tennessee at Martin. Um, I mean, I could go on and on. Restaurants, other businesses we partner with. We have a bass tournament coming up. Um, Discovery Park of America. They we have donated them the back outside cover of our catalog, um, and they're a national one of the world's best museums, and they're right here in our backyard. Um, so we, I mean, goodness, anytime you can give back, we see that coming back into the store. And at the end of the day, that's in my opinion and, and my brother's opinion that on our business, that's how you can be successful. It's, it's never forgetting your roots and 100% give back as much as you physically can do. I love it. Do you, as an individual, and I know kind of, we've touched on it in our last couple podcasts about you, you do lay low. You don't, you really don't leave home much. If you do, it's, you might go to Nashville for an NWTF. You might have to fly somewhere for a buying group show, but Kelly powers of today in 2020 is a lot different than Kelly powers of 98 to 2005 of traveling and hunting and filming a bunch. You still do some, but you've slowed some, down yeah, yeah. personally though, Kelly, do you, do you find yourself gravitating towards this culture that you're describing right now of, of being in the store and being a part of that community. And I'm not saying it's raw, raw. I'm saying of being a baseball coach or sitting on a board of directors or going into a local restaurant and bringing your family in there and shaking hands with all the locals. Are you constantly shaking hands and kissing babies as kind of like this mayor position of the area of, of who Kelly powers is. And I'm not saying that it's in a cocky raw, raw way. I'm just talking about the culture and spreading this word that you describe. Yeah, I don't, I don't know about shaking hands, kissing babies as much, but uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, this is my, I've said this and I do, you know, if go and speak anywhere in the country. I've always said, you know, I was born in Union City, Tennessee. I currently live in Union City, Tennessee, and I hope I die in Union City, Tennessee. I mean, this is my hometown. Um, it's where, where I went to high school. I went to college in Martin, which is about 10 minutes away from where I grew up. Um, I mean, I've lived here my whole life. Our hunting opportunities have been incredible. It's such a giving community. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it is the perfect place for me. And we were fortunate and you, you, you know, this back in the late nineties, early two thousands, my goodness, man, travel the world. We traveled and, and with, with grounds and, and you, we can go on to all the different names that, that ha have even passed on, um, that aren't with us anymore. And, but how much fun that we had traveling and doing those things. And, and, and a lot of this, a lot of the memories I've forgotten the last podcast, you know, we talked about some old stories, but was so fortunate to have those experiences. And now that I'm kind of back home, I'm just, you know, with my family, my kids, it's just like in coast mode, I'm enjoying just being here 
um, working with our store with Hignan and, and, and our call company, you know, and everything. And I feel like I can do my best work here. And, and I've just, you know, I've, I've had a good time and I'm still just, this is kind of where I'm, where I'm at. I love it. And you, you mentioned, you know, some of the travels, if your son sees you in coast mode and he doesn't understand the Kelly powers that you were just describing, and I'm not saying that he doesn't, I'm just saying, does he get to see, we've, we've touched on this before too. Does he get to see the history of Kelly powers through the camera, through the footage, through the photography, um, steel photos I'm talking about. How does he, how is your son going to know whether or not to do that, to get on the road and get on a plane and fly to Oregon and sit on the back of a tailgate and talk to Jim Ronquest and then get on stage and, com- and compete with Bill Saunders and Chad Belding and Hunter Grounds and John David Stanley. How is he going to know to even take that first step towards that lifestyle? It's not the same as being in a little league team in Union City and then moving up to the high school ranks and having a scout say, hey, Powers, your kid's got it. We're giving him a full ride or, or a cross check or going, we're taking him in the first or second round in the MLB draft. That can all happen right there in the back. In, in Union City. How is he going to know to get on that plane and go to that contest or go to that festival or go, vi- you know, visit another destination? How, how do we do that with our, our kids if we are in coast mode? Because I'm getting to be that same way, Kelly. I'm like, man, this quarantine has taught me like, dude, I love this place. This is life. This is nice yeah. to me, right? You know, so how do we do that without getting out there with them and taking them, you know, and showing them the world? I think, I mean, I, I think there's so much that can be done in your own hometown and be very, very successful, you know, and, and I'm not saying not travel, don't get me wrong. I mean, there's, there's obligations you have to do and this and that, but for him personally, I'm just kind of letting him move at his own pace. I haven't pushed calling down his throat. I haven't, if he wants to, you know, just to get up on it, that's fine. You know, he's nine years old. Um, and my daughter just turned five and both of them, I mean, if they want to get in the outdoors, you know, it's all for it, but I will say Kip, he is, uh, he, he loves the hunting aspect of it. And, and I mean, if he was, well, I can tell you this, he's out for probably what, 15 or 17 days during winter break and around Christmas. And I bet he duck hunted with me all but one. And I mean, his alarm goes off at the same time mine is. And when I get up in the morning, I just kind of look out my door to see if he's up, he's getting his clothes on. It's not, I don't have to go in there and shake him and convince him to go or nothing. And, and here this turkey season, since he's been quarantined with the, with the current climate, he's hunted with me just about every day. The, t- the days he didn't go were the days he couldn't go, that I was actually a guest of somebody else and, uh, and had to go with them. And, but, man, th- th- it was a funny story the other morning. This is how he is. And he's nine years old. Of course, he hunts, and he sits in my lap. You know, and, and he's got a tw- he shoots a 20-gauge, and he's got this 20-gauge. And, and I always taught him, you know, he sets, that, sets it up on his knee. So that way he's always ready to make the shot. You don't have to move, you know, if he gets surprised or whatever. So he's got that gun sitting on his knee. Well, he just kind of leaned back and dozed off or sit still. Birds were still on the roost. Well, that first bird gobbled wasn't but about, you know, 150 yards away right in front of his gun barrel. So as soon as that bird gobbled, Kippen just leaned his head up, pulled his face mask up, and he was on point. Like he, and I didn't have to say <laughs> anything. He said, well, he said that like that was a that was a good wake up call. But he loves it. I mean, he's told me, he said, man, I think I like turkey hunting more than anything, you know? So even if he, whether it's successful or not, he is, I mean, if I'm going turkey hunting, I want to go. That's how he is. And do you think, do you think that he is picking up to the vocalizations? Cause you're not, you're known as a great hunter, but you're probably more known, more so known as a great caller. You are, oh, yeah. you, he is, is he into the vocalizations? 
Oh, he is. I was just yesterday morning. I was I was messing with our blind, and it was still dark out. And and he, I, I said, go ahead. And, I said, whisper to him. I said, hey, go ahead and sit down here right by the tree. So he was doing that. Well, I had to reach out in front of me, and I always carry clippers on me. And I just kind of reached over. And there was a, there was a limb. I was going to clip off and just kind of push it down in front of us to give us a little bit of cover. Well, right when I did that, an owl hooted, you know, several hundred yards away. And of course, me grabbed that limb, made a little bit of noise. And as soon as I did it, he just grabbed me and he said, Dad, that was an owl. I couldn't hear if there was a gobble afterwards. Like he was already mad at me because he knew <laughs> as soon as he heard, he heard that owl, it was silence afterwards. See if he heard a gobble that speaks to hammer off in the distance. And uh, he couldn't hear because I was making noise. So, yeah, all those little things. And that makes me proud. Those little things that are going on, he's aware of. And 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 anybody, any new hunter as well, that you, people appreciate this of how to walk and, and to be quiet in the stealth mode, how to, you know, how to use trees as natural cover going from point to point, walking through the woods, little things like that and how to move through the woods in a stealth mode, you know, and, and there's not a better way to do it than if you got a turkey on a roost three or 400 yards in front of you and you're trying to close the distance without him seeing you from his elevated perch. You know, if you can do that and, and do it pretty stealthy, you know, then they learn pretty quick. And that's what I'm, I'm pleased with him. And, and learning all the vocalizations too is, is something as well. Has he taken a love to the next part of it with the butchering and the processing? Does he love to eat wild turkey and wild fish? Is he oh, into watching you cook? Yes, loves it. Matter matter of fact, he it, I mean anything that he shoots, and that's from day one. I'm just like, hey, we're you got to be a part of all this. If you're gonna you're gonna drop the hammer on a deer, or like I want you to be a part of the whole deal. And and he's helped me clean, and not as much doing it on his own yet with the knife and all that, but he's helped me. He likes the process, especially cooking. He'll ask me. You know, I, I've got deer in the freezer and he's got deer, but he'll ask me if we're eating deer at night, is this my deer or your deer? He wants to know, you know, and, and the same thing with turkey. You know, we ate part of his turkey that one of his birds that he shot about a, uh, last week and same deal. He, you know, asked me and loved it, but he's all, in, he's into that. I mean, anything with, with wild game, he's all about it. Now, what about you personally? Are, are you a connoisseur of fine wild game meals or are you kind of take it or leave it or have you with your upbringing and farming and living off the land are you just 100 percent um that that kind of a diet to where it's going to be a fish fry it's going to be a black and fish fillet or it's going to be a nice barbecued deer steak you have all these different recipes do you eat the ducks you kill does kelly powers donate yep. a lot of his wild game or does your family eat a lot of wild game we eat a lot of wild game i i mean matter we've got on our refrigerator we've got a a menu that we have that I, I just write, I, I plan meals for, for seven days in advance, you know? Um, and it's helpful, obviously planning and grocery shopping and all that. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, we've had goodness, wild Turkey. We'll have uh, deer burger, uh, deer chili, uh, fish, and then go on down the list. You know, I've got snack sticks that I just ate for deer snack sticks that I ate for lunch. I mean, for the most part, you know, I mean, that's how, Somebody said to others, said, man, you're still turkey hunting. I said, well, in this climate, you can't find a turkey at the grocery store right now, just about. Yeah. So we got to get it some way. But uh, no, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, live off the land. And, and God gave us these creatures to eat. And, you know, and, and I think it's a responsibility there. We give a lot of meat away, especially of ducks as well. But, man, there's a responsibility, too, that, you know, to be a part of that process. And, and I want my kids to grow up to where... You know, when, when we shoot five or six ducks, let's go in there, let's flay them out, let's prepare some type of dinner where you enjoy that. And I think when they see it from flying in the air all the way to where it's on their table and they're enjoying it and eating it and it's providing for the family, I think it comes full circle 
you know, and, and it makes things. It doesn't say that I'm not saying we, we eat 24-7 wild game. Obviously, we eat, you know, domestic stuff as well, but nothing, nothing, it's not. You know, we, we do eat a lot, a lot of wild game for sure. Kelly, when you start teaching Kip about this part of um, that I'm going into, I want I want you to talk a little bit. I, I assume in Final Flight you kind of have a wall of fame for locals. A kid might bring a picture in of his first buck or his we first do. duck. Um, then you have the social media aspect of it. People are putting all these pictures up. Uh, piles make smiles and hashtag this. And the, I'm, I want to go into the ethics of preparation, the ethics of photography, the ethics and compassion for these animals. The old days, Chad and dad went up and killed a mule deer. And the first thing was, man, dad, I want to tie this on the truck so everybody sees it when we pull into Bruno's. Um, then you have the, 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 the what we're talking about, Kelly, the processing and the butchering of these wild animals that was put on earth by God for us to not just kill, but to eat the bounty and to be conservationists to help them thrive even more throughout the year in different aspects of that in processes. So what is Kelly Powers opinion on when you go to your son and you are cutting into a deer and it's bloody or you kill a deer or a turkey and you see the blood? What would, what would you tell somebody? Do you look for a certain standard for that wall of fame to where the animal and the respect of the resource is always out front first and foremost? Do you feel that way in the marketing efforts of Final Flight, catalog pictures, online pictures, print ads, digital ads? Talk to me about the compassion and the respect of the resource. Yes. Yeah, so the, the biggest thing that we have to understand as hunters is we, as a society, all of us were not brought up in the same environment. I was brought up in a rural environment to where we went out, we shot a deer, we processed it, we ate dinner that night with that, you know, on that deer. There are people that grew up in an inner city environment that that got a cow that was butchered domestically in a pen that didn't have a chance, wasn't a, a fair chase, wasn't a you know free range. Those scenarios, so they don't. A lot of people don't understand where the actual food source comes from. So they may see a deer and think, well, how can you shoot that deer? Blah blah blah. And that same person's eating the cheeseburger you know, while, they, while they're making those complaints and not realizing where the meat came from. But as a hunter, there's a responsibility that we have to take. I mean, it's common sense. We have to take highly, highly respect the animals that we pursue. You know, don't, from a photograph standpoint, we realize you have a trophy, but there's a way to display that trophy, you know, appropriately and ethically. You know, if there's any blood, try to wipe the blood off. And, and the only reason I'm saying this is is there are people out there that doesn't understand the the process and all this so it, as tastefully as we can explain our livelihood and that this animal although yes he is a trophy but also this animal is going to provide meat for my family and multiple families if we keep telling that story the better it is for everybody and and i think you see it we're, we're the bad and i even had a class in college uh, about this and a, a friend of mine's a wildlife officer taught it you know, yes, you shoot a deer, you can throw it, you know, used to people would throw it on the hood of the truck and go through town and tie it down. Legally, is there anything wrong with that? No, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing illegal about that. But there's an ethical thing about it. Just like, hey, have some respect for the people that you might have a kid that's never been around hunting and never been around death of an animal and, and take it the wrong way. So there's a responsibility there that I think we have to do as hunters to where, you know, we're harvesting these animals for our intake for our enjoyment, put food on the table, uh, from, from population management, all of the above. And I think the more tastefully that we, excuse me, the more tastefully that we can portray that message, I think the better it is for everybody. As far as a coach goes in leadership, talking to his team and strategizing a play or the it's halftime and Lou Holtz had to get the fighting Irish fired up. 
Do you find yourself relaying messages like you just talked about, like what you just did? Do you find yourself in, in that role with the, the employees at Final Flight and talking about the overall culture of what Final Flight represents instead of just like read those hang tags? We're going to talk about this today. We're going to have a lot of turkey hunters coming to the store. Do you find yourself in that position or your brothers doing that as a, as oh, yeah. more, than, more than just price tags or hang tags? Yeah, we've got a, it's funny. There's a, there's a quote board in one of our offices that, that things that I've said and Tripp said and John had said, anyway, it's kind of funny, but a lot of just one liners, you know, I've always said, stay in your lane and own it, you know, identify the area that you're an expert in uh, and dominate it, you know, stay in your lane and dominate it. And, and, and I, I use myself as an example. I can kind of, if one of our employees come in and I think we can have an, especially if you're, if you're close you know, that like, if they've been with us for a while, I can have a frank discussion and say, Hey, this is where you, this is where you lack in skills. And this is where you excel in skills as an employer employee relationship. I think it's our job as the employer to realize and to understand where that employee can be successful and to put that employee in the areas that they can be successful. For example, and I, I beat myself up. I say, listen, you don't want me in sales. If I'm in sales, it's going to be horrible. I'm not necessarily, when I'm talking to customers, I, I physically get tired. I just get tired. I get worn out. You know, uh, I don't know if it's from the travel in the last 20 years that we've done, if I've just gotten burned out of that. But sometimes I just physically get exhausted, not not mentally that I'm upset with the customer. That's not even the case. It's just I physically get tired and, you know, it just wears me out for the day. Uh, I feel like I do my best work in the back office, on the computer, website stuff, with whatever, marketing. I feel like that's where my best work is. But with our employees, there are guys that are the complete opposite of me. So what we try to do as employers is bring in people that are better than us in those areas and put them in places where they can succeed. You know, the, the more talent I have on our team, the better. And I, you talked about the, the, the coach coaching terms, you know, I, I compare it to a football team. You've got your, your great big, great big guys that are your linemen and you got your running backs, you got your quarterbacks, you got your, your kickers. All of them are different physique. All of them have different skill sets. You can't expect your kicker to go out there and block for your running back going through the hole. Uh, you can't expect your lineman going to kick a field goal. You know, but collectively, if they're all on the same team, doing, staying in their lane, doing what they do best under the guidance of a good coach, that team's going to be pretty successful. And so, is it constant to where you guys are are strateg- or having st- strategic meetings like this to keep the employees thinking, to keep them being on the education, to keep them on the learn that curve, making sure that they're always ahead of it and and knowing what's out there and what to expect or what could happen if you know uh, if you are presented in this type of a situation, are they are, are there little nuances that Kelly has to where he can help an employee, or is it just is it just every day they can expect to have a little team talk from the leader before the store opens? Opens? Yeah, every day. I mean, we're around every day. And, and, and when I mean team, like, you know, whether it's me and we have our, our store managers that are, they're unbelievable. I mean, they do the work, they run the show. They're the actual heroes. They run the show, but we're all approachable. Um, whether it's a phone call, I mean, goodness, Seth texts me, me, John and Tripp at 424 this morning of, I was actually fixing to get up to go turkey hunting. And, uh, but it was, yeah, 424 this morning, I get a text from our marketing manager and, and he was just kind of the start of the work week of what he had going on this week, you know? And, uh, so that's how we are. We're approachable daylight, dark, it doesn't matter. I mean, and I always say this, if, if they, if, if the guys that work for us and, and, and females, if they can put up with us for four years, you know, and that that's the time that generally they're in college. We have a lot of part-time college help. The reason I said the four years, but 
their family for life, you know, and, and goodness, we have people that are still with us today. And then we have some that have gone on in, in other industries, whether it's insurance and goodness, we can go on down the list. They're highly successful. And I'm tickled to death that I've gotten to know them. And not only that, I'm tickled that, that we were, you know, it, it was our, our honor for them to work for us for goodness, for, for the time that they were here. Well, what about somebody like Seth though, that 424, I mean, he's in marketing. I mean, he's taking ownership in the brand and the company and the culture of final flight. How does the, how do the powers brothers keep an employee like that around? Um, it, it has to be a lot of the culture because there, the pays there, but is he going to be given equity? Is he going to become an owner of the company? Who knows that might come way down the line, but how do you guys keep an employee like that to make him motivated to text you at four twenty four to lay out the week's plans? And he's doing so much on social and I mean, he's all over the map and he's not, I assume he's not a, an owner on paper. No, he does. So, so what, what he's doing now, he's doing a lot of, um, he does a lot of independent stuff as well. I actually, I don't know if you know this, but here two weeks ago, Seth moved to Knoxville. So he moved five and a half hours away and now, and, and he wanted to still be a part of us. Of course, I definitely wanted him to be a part of us. And I said, Hey, listen, we can get creative of this. And, and you have to understand something with Seth. And this is not just Seth. This is with any of our employees. Yes, they're an employee, but they're a, almost like a family member first. So when we have these discussions, I'm kind of advising them like if they were my son or my brother of like, hey, this is what I would do. This is my opinion. Somebody like Seth, he's so talented from a marketing angle and photography. So he does photography on the side. He does he does all of our social media marketing and advertising. But I've encouraged Seth to, to reach out, basically kind of, you know, it sounds bad, but use us. Use us for a, a stepping ladder to help acquire other brands. I said, as long as they don't compete, with what we're trying to do. That's the one thing I'll ask from a retailer standpoint. We don't want you to do anything for other retailers. I said, but as long as they don't compete, you know, man, you can be highly successful um, as an independent contractor in a sense. And, and, and he's, that's what he's been doing and, and he kills it. But I love those 420 text messages, you know, because I know he takes care of our brand and I can trust him. If anything advertiser come up, turn it over to him. He's going to word it in the right way. It, it's just, it's a, a, a relief. And, and, and I know we're singling him out, but every other employee in our store, it's, it's the same characteristics. We trust them. You have to, because when you're an, a, a store owner or a restaurant owner, one of the biggest things that you hear is trust your management, your employees, because you can't have eyeballs there all the time and you can't have cameras in there all the time on every angle. And and then the, the ethical part of camera and security system is like, are they putting that, those all over the store because they don't trust their employees? Well, no, it's mainly for, you know, prevention of shoplifting and stuff like that. But I've owned, I own restaurants. Guy goes in, I have buddies in the bar business. They pour a couple extra shots. They give away a couple beers. You know, it's okay for the right instances. Like what you're saying with Seth. Yeah, go get it if it doesn't Absolutely. compete. Yeah. You know, if, if it's if it's a if it's a gambler and you're taking care of a loyal customer, do it. But a lot of things you hear in these type of businesses are you know, it, the, the, the trust goes away because something can happen and you have to have this group of people and this cohesiveness of like, that would never happen. We just know that it won't because of the culture that we're building here. And you, you, you have to take those steps because in reality of those businesses, they're very susceptible of, of things like that going on, that you can lose your profit margins and lose your revenue base. If somebody in there is not ethical and not putting the, the brand first. Yeah. And our, one of the, things that we pride on is flexibility, especially on a work schedule standpoint. 
is very flexible, and especially with our managers. Man, if they need to leave at nine o'clock, they don't need to ask me permission. Just make sure your department's under control. You need to leave and go somewhere. And not only that, but goodness, when it gets into hunting season, I mean, a lot of our guys, they're, you know, they're, they'll make sure their department's in order and somebody's there to cover them. Excuse me, but they will be, uh, I mean, they'll go hunting, go hunting in the morning, go deer hunting, go w- whatever. They're duck hunting with us. I mean, all, all of our employees duck hunt with us. You know, if I look on the schedule, I mean, we, we use a, a certain app that we use for communication and who wants to hunt tomorrow? Come on. You know, well, I got to be at work at, at nine. No, no problem. I'll run you out at eight thirty. No big deal. You know, and we do though, you know, I mean, that's just, it's family. I mean, it's just, we treat everybody the same. And, and, you know, like I said, we talked about Seth earlier. There are other goodness. I can go on with down the list from, from our IT guy doing stuff of constantly, whether it's late at night, something happens, always available. You know, um, our, our, our gunsmith, our archery tech, our other, our other uh, firearm techs are just unbelievable. Our, our store office manager, Caitlin, I mean, whether if, if a, a local person passed away in the community, that's a friend of the family. I mean, as soon as I hear about it, well, then, you know, the next day I get an email from her that's, hey, I've, I've ordered flowers for the funeral, the arrangements, like all those things are automatic that we don't have to. Add. It's just it's an awesome family that people kind of get it. They they understand and have identified their lane and they have absolutely dominated it. And and there's nobody better in the world at their lane than what they do. Um, and if I try to put myself in doing what they do, I will, I will absolutely fail. And, and it's it, pulling that team together and it, everything just runs really smooth when it's, when it's all clicking. Yeah. And I love how you play it down of like you would fail and, and they dominate their lanes, but you dominated a lot of lanes for a lot of years in competition calling. You've done a heck of a job with your career in the hunting industry of being anything from a store owner to a business owner, to a competition caller, to a brand ambassador and a product developer. You've had a lot of insight and a lot of, a lot of really cool traits in this business and this industry. So you can't tell me that our first discussion, when you described your tennis career and becoming and being a very competitive tennis player coming up in that competition in that competitive spirit has not left Kelly powers. So when you start talking about final flight and then you said, made the tur you made the remark about Seth, as long as it's not with the competitor, I'm cool. I know that you don't wake up and worry about competition, but there's a lot of competition in this space. There's other online stores. There's ton, there's Amazon. There's, 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 um, other catalogs. There's so much business out there. You got the, some of the biggest in the country and in, in, you know, in what the, you know, the, the bringing together of the Bass Pros and the Cabela's, this is all considered quote unquote competition to what your bottom line could be readily affected by. So is be transparent with me, Kelly Powers, about do you wake up and you're like, we're going to we're going to stay in our lane. We're going to keep doing what we're doing. But our end goal is to be the best outfitter of this service and these products in the country, in the world. And are you are you are you spreading that message as well as like, look, we are the best and this is why we're going to be the best. Is that what your job is? Yeah, it, it, absolutely. I mean, that competitive spirit hasn't gone anywhere, but but you do that by making your brand stand out not by worrying about what others are doing you know because there's a lot of other retailers in our space that are dear friends i mean that we're a part of the same buying group that are absolutely just killing it that are great brands that i'd recommend any i mean i mean i mean we can go on down the list of different retailers that are hours away that are i consider dear friends you know and do anything in the world and and they've done stuff for us and i'll never forget it you know um so yeah you know yes we're our kind of niche is the Northwest Tennessee area. 
and and that's where we're at and that's where we want to thrive. Yes, we try to grow that, but we do try to stay in our lane in some sense and and try to be as best as we can be in our lane, uh, especially as a waterfowl retailer. And and here recently we've done a lot with the with the black guns on the tactical side and 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 law enforcement, you know, and and we have a really good firearm department and and especially it's staffed really well with a gunsmith. That's kind of that's our niche. That's I feel like that's what we do well. Um, it's just telling that story, and and like I say, we we're a we're a big fan of. I will say this in the in the day and age with with a lot of your online stuff and this and that, you know, and not only that, but even selling direct and this and that. It's it's a struggle for retailers, you know, where you try to, you know, there are some brands out there that try to go straight to the consumer, and then they they kind of fail at that. And then they try to backdoor and get back into the dealer, you know, standpoint. And and then there's some brands that, and, and you know how this works. There's some brands that go in and and they'll try to get a purchase order in February from a from a dealer in a retail store. Oh, we got that purchase order, and they use that purchase order for their factory to get quantities up. Everything's great. Well, then it comes in the selling season, and that same manufacturer becomes your competitor. They start. They'll have map pricing, and they're breaking their own map pricing that I can't sell below. And it's like, what's going on, guys? Like, let's partner together here. There's, I'm not saying not sell direct. I'm not saying that. We understand that you have to do that. But there's common ground to where we're in this together. Don't become my competitor. That's all, that's all we ask. And so with that being said, I've always said this, you know, us retailers, independent retail stores, you know, there are times that we need to group together. And we need to say, wait a minute, these brands that are going to go and sell direct and and try to become my competitor, well, then we're not going to buy from you. And if we have that collective voice, well, then it moves the needle a little bit because brands can't survive. If brands do that, they can't survive on just regular consumer direct, even in the online marketplace that we have now, in my opinion. I think if we can kind of flex our muscles and say, hey, look, we want to partner with you on some common terms here. You know, let's not run sales that I can't run. Let's not break map pricing that I can have to you know, that I can't abide by certain things like that. And so that's one of the things that we try to do and partner with other retailers and that we're trying to spread the message because we're all in this together and let's all be profitable. Let's all have good products, identify the manufacturers that are in a, that people may not know of and let's bring their product to the customer light where it's a win-win for the manufacturers. It's a win-win for the retailers. And then ultimately it's all those products are in front of the customer's eyes. And I think the more we work together rather than button our heads, it's it's going to be better for everybody, and that goes for the brands too. I mean, it's 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 the exact same way. Is that there's enough out there? Let's all you know be ethical and respect each other on both sides of the table. Of you know, you're making this and we're making this, but we're going to do it our way. You're going to do it your way. Let's not downplay that, but let's let's keep the ethics first. And you know, the dealer there. I, I think yeah. that I think that the protection of that dealer is everything. But I want you to key in on what you just said at the end of that, Kelly. What do you mean that a brand cannot survive? without the dealer base or just survive. I think you said they won't survive just on a direct sales kind of approach. Well, because it's so hard to forecast. It is so hard to forecast what your fall projections are going to be in December and January when you haven't identified correctly how many customers you actually have. And, and it's, it's, if you're setting on a, uh, it's, you have to do business differently. If you're setting on a, a big bank road where you can cash flow products for a year in advance, if you can cash flow those products and warehouse those products, that's really the only way that for that to be successful. But our industry is so used to 
getting purchase orders in January and February from retailers that are large in number. They're taking that same paper. They're taking that same paper that those orders are on. They're using that for their factory to build quantities up. The more quantities they have at their factory, the better pricing they get. The more orders they have on paper, the easier it is for them to get funding at their local banks. So if they don't have that paper of those orders on hand that's rock solid, that's sewed, if I can get it you know, in 60 days or whatever time, if they don't have that, it's just a big guess. And that's where the hard thing to go. Yes, short term, you can do that. But after a while, you start having so much, it's just hard to do to forecast and project. In my opinion, I think it's very hard to where if that manufacturer would set back and say, there's mutual ground. And, and mutual ground, believe me, it works both ways with the retailers as well. You know, the retailers have to, to be fair. They have to do their due diligence of actually selling the product and ordering the product and some kind of a- adequate selection. So that works both ways. But I think there's mutual ground to where it's just, it's just common sense stuff. And, and we won't mention any brand names, you know, but there are certain brands that just that, that try to go retail. Well, then they go try to go direct and cut out retail. And now they're trying to go back retail again. It's, it's just it's all over the place you know that that seemed like they struggle man it's it, it's it's very enlightening and eye-opening to now that i start to think of some of them it's you're dead on it's the way that you just put that and how important those prs are po's are and how how important pre-booking is and as far as just everything down to your bank and your financial institution and the ab- availability of funds it's like when you start thinking about uh, you know, I'm just being transparent. We have jargon and we're dealer direct for the first, I mean, we're uh, consumer direct for the first year. We ran into the problem, had to shut our website down for three months because we weren't ready for either the influx in and it, or how many, we, how, how many customers do we really have out there? Well, if we would have had a PO don't know. from, from a final flight and a PO from another dealer and we know how much acrylic to buy, we know how much manpower we're going to need in the shop. We're going to, all of that plays a, a vital role in forecasting what you're going to be able to do as a company and everything, every move that you make, that's not in, in, you know, in cohesiveness with that, it takes a penny off of that bottom line. And pretty soon those pennies add up to where your profit margins go way down because you're just spinning your wheels. And, and so from a retailer standpoint, you know, and, and we're a member of a buying group and there's, there's multiple different buying groups and most of your, some of your buying groups, whether it's sports Inc or MBS, whatever, you know, you have to be at a certain volume store and sales and this and that. So as a buying group here, we do, we, let's just say XYZ brand collectively XYZ brand at this buying group did 5 million in sales. Okay. So that XYZ brand takes those 5 million in sales. They get better negotiating at their factory because they got these, you know, orders on the books. They get better pricing and better financing with their banks, all this in turn. Well, then what happens XYZ brand grows so big, so fast. Now they have multiple departments. They have a sales department, they have a marketing department, and they just get all over the board. So then it gets into fall selling season. Those products are already gone. They've got five million of products on all these store shelves across the country that's already sold. Money's already in their hands. Well, then the marketing department looks in the warehouse and says, we're setting on a lot of these products and deer season's coming up. Let's run a sale. So then, boom, they run a sale. Well, then the sale they're running is breaks the map pricing that they've set as a company that the marketing department's not talking to the sales department. Well, then, it, then retailers are like, wait a minute you're selling it below map pricing that I'm not even allowed to sell it below. Like, what are y'all doing? You use my purchase orders to get better pricing at the factory, to get better financing at your local bank, 
and now you're becoming my competitor and stabbing me in the back. So like, and unless us retailers understand what's going on behind the scenes and partnering together on this, it, it just gets way out of control. And, and then again, I'm not saying that manufacturers have to have direct presence. They have to, because whether we like it or not, the final flights can't sell every product that you make. You know, we, we can't afford to put all those products. It may not fit our sort, but it, we get that. But all we're saying is there's neutral ground here. Sell direct, but goodness, don't break my pricing. You know, if you make me sound a contract that says, yeah, you can't sell it below this price, we expect you to do the same. If there's any kind of online sales, include us on it. Give us a heads up. Hey, we're going to discontinue this product in 30 days. We encourage you to move it. It's just communication. You know, if those kind of things happen, we're all good and, and we're going to do as much as we can for that brand. In return, manufacturers that do that for us, you know, Bandit, Drake, we can go down the list and they've been all great partners. They do that for us. Well, then what do we do in return? As me being a marketing person, I'm thinking, okay, how can we help them with catalog space? How can we do more ads? How can we, because that's my responsibility. Because here's a brand that that really values our partnership and it's not gone unseen. So what can we do? You know, whether it's store signage, it's all an open book. And the better the relationships are there, I think it's better for all of us. But it is a two-way street. You know, I'm kind of harping on manufacturers. But listen, we have a responsibility as retailers as well to do our part. And I think it's the more conversations that that continue on that line, you know, the better. And I also think, you know, as far as like a brand like Final Flight and you you talk about how you're friends with several other retailers, quote unquote retailers, whether it's online or catalog or walk in. as far as the brands go, it's easy to have the, the thought process of like, yeah, well, you know, we're, we're, we're putting our product in there and we're giving their consumer a different, you know, a, a, a variety and a, and a really good selection and portfolio to choose from. We have a good product, you know, we're, as our company, as our company grows, we're going to, you know, we're going to take out some print ads and wildfowl and gun dog. And we're going to be on this message board with a banner ad. And we might be doing this on a TV commercial, the amount of credibility and the amount of what you just said, Kelly, about the marketing aspect that comes for a brand, the benefit that a brand gets from that catalog space, whether it's co-oping or if it's a quarter page to a, I mean, there's, there's bandit has gotten, you know, several, several pages in a lot of catalogs. Um, that's advertising, that's marketing, that's credibility. Then you see final flight with a board out front in union city it might be a billboard. It might be a sign. It might be something that you include bandit on or Drake on that's credibility. That's marketing. Then you got a print ad for final flight in the local newspaper. And it says banded this, this week, we're going to do this. Boom. That's credibility. That's marketing. So all of that, that there stands a chance for a brand to take that for granted, or maybe a new brand coming into the space, which I want to talk to and uh, talk to you about in future podcasts of how, how you can come into this space in the 2020 timeframe and be successful as a retailer and waterfowl or turkey hunting or whatever. But you, the brands need to realize, and I did a long time ago through the helpings of like Christian Curtis and you and Chuck Locke and guys like that of how important is it to be part of that and to not break those ethics or give that retailer the desire to say, Hey, what the heck's going on? I thought we were a partner here. Look at all this stuff we're doing. Cause to be in your catalog, to me, I'd be like, dude, that's credibility. We're in, we're in it here. We've made it. And that's the way that I think a brand needs to look at it. You agree? And in a not, I know that you, I, I know that you're going to, I don't want you to be like, oh yeah, you got to be in final flight to be a good brand. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that no. that is a, that's the way that I look at it. 
It is very, yes. I mean, it's a, it's, it is very valuable. Um, it just, it helps its credibility and, and our little niche of the space. And obviously, you know, Max, they print millions of cattle, you know, getting in there, like it is so valuable for a brand. And, and, and like you said, I, I'm, I'm hoping those manufacturers, I, I know, I know the ones that we know, the friends are, I know they value that because they're close friends with Chuck and everything, but that is, that is very crucial. And, and they have strong partners with Bandit and Drake and all that, just as, as we do as well. Um, and, and that's, there's a lot of credibility there that, that helps. Not only that, but let's face it, it gives brands like Drake, Bandit, Higdon, we can go down the list, you know, it gives them breathing room to innovate. When they have those relationships and they know that they're going to get good POs in, in January and February because I got a great outlet to sell these products outside of my direct consumer. I have a great outlet through a retailer. They can breathe. They can relax because they know checks are going to be coming in the mail in the next month. They know those revenues are going to be coming in. So when they have that mindset, they can innovate. They can come up with better products that Bubba Hunter is going to enjoy this come November. You know, And right. when, when financial stability is there, when retailers are there, so when retailers and, and independent store owners can partner with manufacturers on mutual grounds like this, you know, it allows creativity uh, and innovation to come to the top. And the end result is our consumers have a heck of a lot better hunting products to hunt over. Okay. I want to, I want you to study up on, and I'm going to do the same and you might not even need to study up on this, but on our next podcast, I want to talk about when I walk into a home Depot and I'm a consumer and I see and I see all of these brands there that are from DeWalt to Black and Decker to Milwaukee. And then I see the HDX or I walk into Costco and I see Chips Ahoy, Doritos, Lay's and then Kirkland. I, I am of the mindset and I kind of have a little bit of, of a knowledge of like I know that Kirkland is probably going to Grey Goose Vodka to make their vodka under the Kirkland name. There might be going to this tortilla chip company to make it. Okay. So it, it happens in our world too. You walk into a retailer and and you see your brand's there and you're so proud of it. And then right next to it is that brand, is is that retailer's name on on the pair of waders or on the pair of boots or on the blind bag. I want to get some knowledge on is that going against what you just said in the relationship that you said, well, we need brands to understand that retailers are doing this and writing POs. And then a brand is adding credibility to being in that store of, of, of final flight, having the strongest brands in the country that are doing their job to market their brands the right way. It's a two way street. You've already admitted that. So now when I go into home Depot and I see all of this stuff competing with all of these great iconic brands, no matter what, no matter what, if they're paying these guys to build that product, you're still taking that, that, that consumer's mind. You're confusing them now of like, wait a minute, you just spent all these years building me up on the greatest brands in our country. And now you're going to tell me that Home Depot's got the, a brand too. So I want to talk about that and figure out the mindset of what private labeling is. What does it mean? And how have you, how have you constructed that and organized that into your business organization of Final Flight? And does it pay off for both sides of the table? Does that make sense absolutely yeah it's a very slippery slope and a great argument from a manufacturer and i get it we don't do matter of fact i'm trying to we don't we do very little bit of private label what private label stuff we do is obviously through manufacturers you know that come to us and says hey i can do this gun case i can put your logo on but it. you will oh, okay. agree but you and, will you know, agree in many instances that they aren't doing it through manufacturers and it's a lot more elaborate oh, no. than what final flight does oh 
yeah, and I'm not, we don't even have to admit, there are big box stores that have, that do that, you know, and, and part of me, I think it's, I, I think it's more of, of a, a higher profit margin. They say, well, we could become, you know, and, and they have a bigger marketplace probably. I think it's fair to where they have a bigger customer base to where they can go in and they're producing this at their own factories. You know, they have their full line of privately labeled stuff and they have become their own brand, not just a retailer, but their own manufacturing brand. For us, and, and I would like to thank even for, for other independent retailers, um, I think it's it's the more you can partner with the manufacturer, I think it's better. Granted, you're going to operate on a less profit margin initially, but you have a lot less risk, a lot less overhead involved in it. Uh, to me, that's the easier route to go. I and mean, that's the route we're going. Yes, we do a little bit of private label, but it's a lot of it's probably more co-branded. You know, we may have a banded gun case or a Drake gun case or a Higdon. Well, it's got, you know, the Higdon logo and Final Flight logo or the banded logo and Final Flight. It's just more of kind of a partnership project, I guess. You know, not necessarily like we sought that out without any of the other manufacturers that we carry. That's that's not the case. Well, I want to start there next time, Kelly Powers, because I've had a lot of bad taste put into my mouth through what you call the boxes of seeing that in the past of not just with our brands, but to where I just have always been like, Man, I wonder what 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 what's going on there because it's both sides of the table. You got to work together, and I just kind of look at that as exactly what you said. Of course, it might be a higher profit margin, but I just think that there's a lot of confusion being created in the end consumer's mind that what happened to our what happened to our um, our allegiance to the brands. We have been told for years that yeah. you got to you got to do this and this and this, and then all of a sudden. You get them all in there. You get them in the doors. You get them. You get them coming in. You got their allegiance to your retail location, and then boom, you drop that on them. And it's like, well, of course they're going to buy some of that. They've been coming here for years. They trust that name. It's like, I, I don't know, but it must work. It must work because there's still a lot of other retailer. I mean, a lot of other manufacturers sharing that shelf space. And I want to get your opinions. Does it work? How how does it happen that all of these iconic brands settle for that? Oh yeah, just to be in Costco means everything. Even if you're selling against us on every item we make, it just means everything to be in yeah. there. Kind of deal, you know. I want to get into that, and I also yeah, want to get. Oh, go ahead. Well, yeah. I, 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 a lot of this is communication. A lot of it's communication on the retailers and the manufacturers, those close relationships. Maybe, maybe why we're a little different, you know, and, and I know Chuck's this way too with Max is through the years, goodness, we're, we're with, with the Hidman guys, with the banded guys, with Christian and Eric, I mean, with Drake and like, these guys are close friends. Like I've got their cell phone numbers. I mean, I'm talking to founders, you know, and like, if you're talking of a product or a, if there's a, illness in the family or i mean there's a there's a level of intimacy there close relationship you know and for that we we appreciate that business you know what i'm saying so i would never want to jeopardize to hurt their brand if, if that makes sense versus like we we want everybody to kind of to be on equal ground you know everybody to rise to the top so personally if i were to do something with our business that i felt like would offend them with it it, it would bother me you know, so it's kind of like we just want all the brands to kind of be successful. Like I said, you put all the brands up there, let the customer decide, you know, and a lot of it goes back to the camo patterns. Let's be honest. We can just go and wear uh, XYZ camo brand or come up with our own camo brand and it'd be effective. But at the end of the day, Mossy Oak and Realtree sell because they have their marketing. Not only are they great patterns and they're effective, no doubt, 
but their marketing power and and it's and it's a trend you know um whether it's bottom land or the, the new real tree timber it looks awesome like it's a trend and people want to wear something that they have pride in and and if yeah can we be just as effective just wearing a solid brown coat out probably so but it's not you know why would we do that like these are brands that have been with me from day one they're helping me market my my store like as much as I can bring their brands up and, and especially with those two companies, you know, they have been outstanding to us and however much we can turn the table, we're, we're all in. Yeah. And I love that. And I, and I, and I love the fact that you, it, that you can learn all the way through life and how to become better at this. And for example, I'm so thankful that I was part of founding banded and jargon and being able to get, be a part of this industry to the point to where we have jargon now. We have the foul life. We have these podcasts. I could do a podcast where it's raw, 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 banded, raw, 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 jargon. Power call sucks. Kelly Powers got lucky his whole calling career. And I would be hopefully called to the carpet in under five seconds of saying, dude, you are an idiot. Instead, I go about it like I just had Kyle Jones on, two-time world goose calling champion. Great friend of yours. What call does he blow? It's not a jargon. And you know who that episode was brought to you by? By power calls. Today's episode... It's brought to you by Final Fly because I believe in the friendship. And I told Kyle this. I said, look, I am thankful and humbled to be able to call Kelly Powers or text Kelly Powers and Kyle Jones. This is credibility for Chad Belding. Have I been in the industry just as long? Yes. Have I won as many goose calling contests? No. Am I friends with them? Yes. I've been in the industry way longer than Kyle Jones, but the dude has so much knowledge and he's humble. And it's an honor for me to be able to text him and say, hey, I'd like to bring you on multiple times to talk about goose calling. And he's not blowing a jargon. I'm able to tell our audience, power calls are awesome. The people that design and manufacture and build power calls are great human beings and great Americans and friends of mine. And I think that that's everything. And it's, it's a maturity process. And yes, have mistakes been made? Yes. And has drama been caused? Yes. And do you have regrets? Yes. I'm, I'm talking about me. I'm talking about anybody that's built a brand. It happens. But I think that it's a, it's a, it's a process. And I am so thankful for the opportunity to be able to call a Kelly powers and say, look, we were competitors, but now we're not, we don't have that. I don't have that mindset. I look at you as one of the best ever. And I think that you have the same way of you being able to talk about a Chuck lock and what him and Marion have built at max prairie wings. And I remember walking into max prairie wings the first time for anybody listening, if they haven't heard any of our other podcasts, the first time I met Kelly powers, he was selling calls for max. He was in max and he was blown calls and he's still in invited into max he is a competitor and chuck lock would drink a bush light on a tailgate in max parking lot with kelly powers right now and that is what's so endearing about this industry and this sector if you do it right and you're transparent and you communicate those friendships mean everything and to be able to call you bro and have you come on and and lay down knowledge like this it means everything to me and i'm and i'm proud of the friendship and i'm also proud to be have our brands within your doors and your walls at final flight and 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 again dude everything that you and your brothers are doing for this industry from the father to the farming, to the, the knowledge and the, and the, and the next generation. And in the big word with the powers family is mentorship. What you guys are doing by giving back. It makes me feel even that much more better that I'm 45. You're, you're 52. We probably have a good 40. <laughs> we, we have a good 30 years together left, Kelly. We got a good 30 years to keep doing this and bringing people knowledge and on a platform that we we're, we're humbled to have. So I appreciate you, brother. Yep. Man, I appreciate you. It's going to be good. It's, huh? it's, uh, it's, 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 it's been good. And, and like I say, all the retailers you mentioned, I, I mean, 
before we were even a store, you know, we're friends with these guys and I, you know, and they've helped us and we all, I look at what, what will make the average duck hunter or goose hunter successful and, and everything that we talked about, I think will. And, and it's not a power struggle of, of us against this retailer, this or that. It's, it's all about a partnership to where if we have that mindset goal of what's going to make that, that duck hunter more successful, you know, we use a tagline, your success is our success. That's what we use with our, our store. And it's so true. You know, when we can see the customer have success, whether it's on stage, whether it is in a field, whether it's in a goose fit, whatever it is, when they have success, well, then that's our success. Because if we were a part of that process, whether selling a duck call, selling a goose call, selling a pair of waders, a jacket, well, whatever, well, then we've all won. And no matter what brand it is that we bring to them, if they have success, then we have all won. Manufacturers and retailers and consumers, everybody's won in the game. I love it, dude. And I love the way that I love that you understand that you are not you're not driven by those dollar signs. They come when you have that outlook in life right there. And Kelly Powers and his brothers, if you ever get a chance to go into final flight, do it and live that culture. And on those terms, Kelly, about this brotherhood, um, you saw what happened to our mutual friend Willie Robertson this last week and his house and his yeah, family. Yeah, I just I, I just, just read about that. I just got a, I hadn't seen any news this morning, but I just got a text from Willie. It says, uh, "All good, brother." They caught him, so they caught the. They what caught, was the motive? What, I don't know. I don't know anything yet. I just heard that his house got like riddled with eleven bullet holes or something. Yeah, it was two. His house and the house next door that next he door. owns as well. That they were so both of his house. Unbelievable, crazy. But he just texted me and said they caught him. So I'm thankful for that. And text him and say that and tell him that you were thinking about him because I was like. I was just talking with Justin Martin last week on a podcast about all of this philanthropy that Willie Robertson has chosen to use his money for and going down and sex trafficking and food and feeding the homeless. And then I hear that and I'm like, that just shows you how backwards that people can be, that you would do that to some, th that type of a family. It just it blows my we, mind. I know. And, and we have, we have known that family for goodness gracious back in the nineties, way before the duck dynasty. And I've told this to people, if people really understood where their heart was, my goodness, man, you talk about great, great people. And from Field of Miss K to, to Justin Martin, I mean, all of them, you know, Best. and, and they're, they're one of the reasons our whole, our store started. I mean, they were the, one of the first brands that we started selling, yep. you know, and, and uh, they entrusted us. They would send us products on consignment. We would work shows and, and send them back. And yeah, they're, they're and, friends. And, Thank and, the, and the other side of the table, and we'll end it like by this, is that you and I have an understanding of the first thing that I, the first thing that you look at Duck Dynasty and the sex, you're like, success is like, man, our TV show is just as good as that. I never thought that way. They did so much for this lifestyle and for your store and for our brands and for brands all through, not just duck hunting. They brought it to the forefront to where ducks were being mentioned on a daily basis for nine, 10 years. And they still are because of what that show did. So uh, that's why I'm thankful to see their success. They deserved it. And then you turn around and you read about, well, you know, Phil could be living in a mansion right now, but he's still barefooted catching, catching squirrels and, and perch and, and crawfish and eat living off the land. He'll never change. Nothing will ever change that family ever. Nothing will ever change. Never, listen, one of the, one of the last times he was up here, this is years ago, he was speaking at a church. I Anytime he was, if they were at a church or event within an hour of the store, they would always, Miss Kay would call and they'd stay at our lodge. And anyway, well, I went down to get him on a Saturday morning because he had an engagement on Friday night and then another engagement that Saturday night. So I picked him up and I said, hey, let's just go ride around and get out. Of course, he wanted to get out of the house. Well, me, him and Willie are there and we would go down. There's a 
we come down to one of our water control structures and beavers just like, I mean, it was piled up with sticks and all this stuff. And I said, well, man, I said, yeah, I'll come back here on Monday with a backhoe and I'll dig all this out. Of course, I didn't think nothing because I mean, we didn't even have boots. Phil had a pair of slippers on that he had. And I look at Willie and I was telling Willie about that. I'll just come back on Monday and a stick kind of hits me in the leg. And I thought, what is this? And Phil goes, well, boys, now is just as good a time as any. Let's clean it out. And he started throwing sticks. And I told Willie, I was like, man, Phil, knock. I'll come back. And Willie just grabs me and says, no, you don't understand. Like, he is at home. Like, let him do it. Like, this is what he loves to do. And I said, okay. So, but that's it. Humbleness, down to earth. I mean, just as, as I mean, true to earth as can be. Justin Martin was telling me a story that the first time he ever went on the family piece of property, he, you know, there's cotton mouse everywhere, right? Down where y'all live and down mm-hmm. in that part of Louisiana. And, and Phil just, you know, he's got like, like, slippers on and his and, and his calves are kind of showing he's probably got his pants pulled up a little bit and he just takes the lead right he just starts walking he's like come on justin he's like hey phil don't you want don't you want me to go first i got this stick right here and phil looks back at him he goes nah man they always bite the second in line <laughs> <laughs> that's so true man. it's just like one of them <laughs> phil wisdom, one of those phil robertson wisdom one-liners right like uh, yeah. nah they always go after the second guy <laughs> and he just he said he just I, took I, off I, walking i remember I remember Grounds when he was down there hunting with Phil and him and he took Hunter down and uh, Tim was, we were talking afterwards and Tim kind of got a chuckle because he walked in the house and said, Phil, he said, I thought I'd see some mounts on the wall and, and this and that, you know, and of course there was no mounts or nothing. And, and Phil just being Phil said, well, well, Tim, he said, now in these parts, ducks are for eating. They ain't for putting on the wall. <laughs> and it was so true. <laughs> so I mean, true. it was just like, this is, they're for eating. We eat these things. Just to know what that family has done for I, I honestly would attribute duck commander one with Coco and Phil of getting a lot of people yeah. my age into duck hunting. I truly do. I really think way before the duck dynasty it's still days, the best, all of all it's time, the best, best hunting video of all time of all and, time. And you know, and, and one of our mutual friend, Fred Zink, and I, I don't know if this is true or not, and, and I need to watch it. And, you know, Fred analyzes stuff so much, but he told me, and, and you know, the story that, he analyzed like how many kills were on that on that show, you know. Actually, how many kills? And it it was not many. I, I mean, like, and I, I'm just guess it was like thirty or forty birds shown that, you know. And, and granted, that's over a several day period, but but the reason that he analyzed that is because the different camera angles that they used was way ahead of the time. Cameras were right behind the shooters. Like everything was in frame. They had the the conversations one on one them shouldering the gun or working the birds, them shouldering the gun. You see the birds, the shooters, everything in the same frame. Like that was unheard of to be back then. Like you didn't have hunting shows that were made like that way. So Fred counted the actual kill shots just because he was intrigued by that. And, you know, Fred understands the production side of it. And it's just amazing. It's a true testament to how simple and elegant that was. And it's still the best of all time, in my opinion. And not one high speed camera, not one slow motion. Uh, that I, I, the only thing I remember slow motion in the history of Duck Commander was when they were chewing up the cigars and the tobacco and spitting. Do you remember yeah. that? And Phil would like pick up a yeah. shotgun hole and try to make it in. And then it just was so si- the simplicity of it and the conversation. I went for the bucks, or you went for the bucks, and I went for the ducks. When he was telling the Terry Bradshaw yep. story, and then and then Coco, as subtle as Coco is, and as a genius as that man is, he's just like like. Phil went on to be known as this 
uh, this world famous duck hunter and Coco in his own right literally could live off the land as good as any human being ever put on earth. You know, like that guy literally lives that lifestyle of, of living off the land. And it just introduced me being from Lake Tahoe, Reno, Nevada area of the West United States. I had no idea this stuff was going on. And then I watched Duckman of Louisiana and I still have the original DVD. Or I mean the original VHS tape. And I look at it and I'm like, what that did for this industry way before duck dynasty that put duck hunting on the map in a lot of ways right it there. Did. It, it truly did. did. It was, it, it was, like I said, it's one of the best of all time elegantly put together. I mean, and, and, and through the years, you know, and I remember, I remember watching the first duck Dynasty, Dyna, and of course, you know, with our friendship with Will and the, and the guy, I knew that was kind of coming down the pipe, you know, about a year and a half in advance. So you you knew that was coming. And and we were, you know, affiliated with the same companies for years. You know, with when when I went right out of college, I went to work for Drake as director of media relations. And then we got Willie and, and Phil on board and we kind of did a private label apparel brand. Uh, after that, I went back to work with Under Armour and Higdon. And then and then they come back and did some stuff with Under Armour. So like literally we've kind of gravitated, you know, along the same friendship and the same company lines. And I remember when the first Duck Dynasty episode came out and it was almost like put a tear in your eye, but so happy for that family because for years, me personally, I've advocated. I've said, guys, you don't understand how strong this family is in their heart. Like they are good hearted, salt of the earth people. And the more their story is told, it will be successful and then it will be good for the waterfowl industry. It will really be good. Just the greatest people. Just the greatest you, people. Well, can you imagine this? So even even the Under Armour days, you know, Under Armour was was you know their tagline at the time was "There's an athlete in all of us," you know. So they kind of wanted the the clean face, shaved guy that was kind of somewhat fit. Of course, granted, I'm not not really fit. I mean, I I don't have a beard, but for them to sign. Big beard, you know, it was a it was a little bit of a hurdle. It was a conversation of they didn't fit that image. But when after they started having those meetings and realized that where their heart was and how good of a family and it was a huge success, I think mutually for both of them, you know, so, oh. so to see those play out, it's just such a good feel good story. I could sit here and tell you. Um, you know, where I was when in Gonzales, Louisiana at a Cabela's event and Willie was there representing Duck Commander and he showed me on his laptop the original intro that was going into this new project. And then where when I heard when I when I when I Phil and Willie called me when they saw an article on us and banded in a certain publication that I won't go into, but it was a bit, probably the biggest one of our career and just the, the words that came out of their mouth. And they called me from Los Angeles when they were down there doing the deal. And then the third thing I'll say is that when Willie was transitioning from Benelli's, the duck commander on the outdoor channel and moving into duck dynasty on A&E, he walked me into the federal premium booth and, and introduced me to Jason Nash and Brian Kelvington and said, this is the next show that you guys want to be associated with. These guys got it going on. Great people. And he literally stood there and walked. And then he left that meeting and went and sat down and I'm not making this up. He went and sat down next to Phil and Jace, and I believe Justin at the time, no, I don't know if Cy was there or not. This was at SHOT Show. And I'm not kidding you. The line was, the line had to be wrapped around the SHOT Show three times, Kelly. That, and I'm exaggerating, but it seemed that long. Like it was, it was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people that wanted to get their autograph. And I was like, 
good for these guys. Look at what it's doing for this, this lifestyle, right? And then it just kept growing and it kept growing. But my point was, is that he took, he was making revenue out for federal and he believed in us to the point of walking me in the door and saying to the VPs of marketing, this is the guy you want to be working with as we leave, you know, because they weren't going to be shooting a lot of federal on the new style show. So that it was just so, it was just so breathtaking to me of like, man, that is how you're supposed to treat friends and opening up doors for other people that you believe in. And that's what the Robertsons have done since Duckman of Louisiana came out on VHS. They've opened up doors all across this country, politically, family-wise, prayer-wise, religion-wise, you name it, they've done it. And, and they showed it was cool to eat ducks and they showed it was cool to eat frog legs. It's just a, it's a great American success story, man. Absolutely. Like I said, dear family, they're hard and you can't beat them. I mean, I, I, we can go on, on and on about them, but that's how I feel about it. I know you do the same way. And, you know, Oregon waterfowl festival. I remember going up there the first time, I think it was the first year they had it when we were there and Phil was one of the speakers and, and all the people that were up there, majority of the people that we were hanging around didn't really know who he was. You know, they knew of him. And I'm like, guys, you're fixing to hear the best motivational speech you've ever heard. Like you've got to just, you know, and, and pumping that up of like, and then when people left, it was like, wow, just kind of blown away, you know, just because of how Phil's delivery is and everything. But yeah, I mean, goodness, great, incredible family for sure. Let's let's do, I do, let's do another one on the, let's do another one soon, Kelly. I appreciate you. I want to talk about, I, I just love those stories. And I think that people, I think they appreciate knowing the the origins and the roots of something of like, it didn't just happen overnight for Phil Robertson and Kay and those, those guys, they, they had cameras on them for a long time in their own, in their own right. But the whole time they were spreading this good word through the things they were doing. They were tactful in what they were doing because you know what? They were being real and they were being authentic. And I want to talk, I want to talk about authenticity with you next time, Kelly. And, and can somebody come into this space right now? And become the next Phil Robertson. Is it possible through the means of content now and building social media content and YouTube videos, will there ever be another Michael Waddell rock star celebrity deer hunter? Will there ever be another Phil Robertson rock star celebrity duck hunter? Can it happen? Where do you stand on that? Let's think about that. I want to touch more on the private labeling. And I, 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 I want you to appreciate the fact Kelly powers that I just went an hour and 20 minutes, a little over an hour and 20 minutes with you again. And I have not asked you to blow one note on your short read goose call. (laughs) (laughs) He pumped his fist. (laughs) What a success. So I think that's cool in its own right. Kelly powers. Thank you very much. Y'all visit finalflight.net on Instagram at final flight. Is it at final flight or final flight outfitters on Instagram? At Final Flight Outfitters. At Final Flight Outfitters. I don't know. I'm not the, just Final Flight. You know Final me, Flight. Google it. Google it either. like he says. Final Flight. Union City, Tennessee. I love them. Thank you for all the support they give us. Today's episode was also brought to you by our friends at Gerber Gear. We will have another episode of the Foul Life podcast coming your way very soon. And we're even going to have Kelly Powers back again very soon. More coming at your way. Tom, hit that button. This is 2 a.m. Logic. My Foul Life. My foul life.